Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A personal aide to former President Trump pleads not guilty in the classified documents case, but a federal judge unseals more evidence against him. The whereabouts of the Russian mercenary leader raises questions. Find out where the Wagner Group leader is now as the president of Belarus hints at peace talks. The presidential battle heating up. President Biden now trying to sell his Bidenomics agenda to red state voters. Find out his argument and Republicans' response. Will there be an arrest? A senator is pressing for more information about how cocaine found its way into the White House. We have details from the Secret Service. And the tour company behind the ill-fated Titan submersible is suspending all operations. Ocean's Gate CEO was among the five people killed in last month's implosion. Florida today, former President Trump's aide Walt Nada pleaded not guilty to alleged charges of obstruction and false statements. Meanwhile, the former president's campaign fundraising has nearly doubled in the second quarter. NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has more. Three weeks after his boss pleaded not guilty to a 37-count indictment, Walt Nauta, an aide to former President Trump, entered his not guilty plea today. He's been charged in the classified documents case with six counts, including conspiracy to obstruct justice and making false statements. Nauda, in 2021, became Trump's executive assistant after working in the Trump White House. Prosecutors accuse him of helping Trump hide boxes of classified documents to prevent them from being turned over to authorities. According to the indictment, Nauda was seen on surveillance footage moving boxes. Nauda's arraignment was postponed twice last month due to attorney issues and a canceled flight. But today, he entered the federal building with his Washington attorney, Stanley Woodward. And he was represented at the arraignment by Florida criminal defense attorney, Sasha Dayton. And speaking of surveillance footage, one day before Nauda's arraignment, a magistrate judge unsealed additional sections of the affidavit used by the FBI to seek a warrant to search Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. On Wednesday, the judge, Bruce E. Reinhardt, unredacted a description of surveillance footage that showed Nauda moving boxes in and out of a storage room. The affidavit gave a detailed description of various angles caught by the security cameras outside the room. This description, as well as a photo of stacked boxes, was part of the evidence used to justify searching the former president's Florida home in August 2022. Reinhardt had issued two previous orders unsealing separate portions of the affidavit in response to media requests. This latest version doesn't reveal all of the reasons investigators suspected classified documents remained at Mar-a-Lago. A long section of it remains under seal. As more accusations come out against Trump, his election campaign continues to rake in the donations. A campaign official reported more than $35 million in the second quarter from April to June, nearly twice the $18.8 million raised in the three months before that. Could this be a sign that Trump's run for president is getting a boost from his legal problems? A grand jury indicted him in June on charges involving the mishandling of classified documents. 
Prosecutors in New York City charged him in April in a separate case involving an alleged hush money payment to an adult movie star. The funds are typically divided up between Trump's official campaign and his political action committee, Save America, with the campaign receiving 90 percent and the PAC receiving 10 percent. The PAC focuses its spending on non-campaign activity, possibly including Trump's legal bills. The campaign's full filing is set to be released through the Federal Election Commission later this month. Steph? Thanks, Arlene. And the House Freedom Caucus has taken a vote to remove Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, according to a member of the group. This comes after she got into a heated clash with fellow caucus member Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Politico first reported on the news, citing information from caucus member Congressman Andy Harris of Maryland. Harris called the vote on Green's removal an appropriate action. The vote came after Green reportedly referred to Boebert using an expletive during a clash on the House floor. Tensions were also brewing within the Freedom Caucus because Green broke from the group on the debt ceiling bill and support for Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. Harris commented that he thinks the straw that broke the camel's back came when Green publicly said things about another caucus member in terms of that no one should use. This is the first time the Freedom Caucus has voted on a member's removal. Spokespersons for Green and for the Freedom Caucus have not responded to requests for comment. And over in Russia, the Wagner Group leaders returned to the country is raising questions about Putin's authority. This comes as tensions with Ukraine remain high after a new sea-based attack. NTD's Jason Perry has the latest updates. The head of Wagner's mercenary group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, has returned to Russia. And this has raised many questions about the fate that awaits him and his mercenaries. On Thursday, Belarus President Lukashenko said that Prigozhin is now either in St. Petersburg or Moscow. Lukashenko said Prigozhin is a free man and that Russian President Putin will not try to harm him. Meanwhile, a host on Russian state television called Prigozhin a traitor and aired his luxurious residence and arsenal of weapons, and also added that the investigation into the mutiny is still ongoing. If Prigozhin is allowed to return to Russia without facing any consequences, it could raise concerns about Putin's authority. Also in Russian media, Last night, Russian armed forces delivered a concentrated strike with sea-based long-range high-precision weapons at the point of temporary deployment of the Ukrainian armed forces personnel and foreign mercenaries, as well as at the storage of foreign-made armored vehicles. All assigned objects were hit. His comments appear to be about the recent attacks on the Ukrainian city Lviv, in which four people were killed and nine were injured. Ukraine's Air Force reported it intercepted seven of the ten cruise missiles that Russia fired from the Black Sea. What is going on is a tragedy for me personally and for the whole Ukrainian nation. The neighboring state is destroying us, Ukrainians, the Ukrainian nation, our property, our lands. It is beyond me. Why do they do this? And how long will the fighting continue? Negotiations for a ceasefire could still be a long time away. And although peace talks haven't officially started, there appears to be some other dialogue going on between Ukraine and Russia. On Thursday, 45 Ukrainian soldiers were released in a prisoner swap with Russia, and one of the soldiers could be seen hugging Ukrainian soil. 
And Lukashenko says he's ready to mediate those peace talks if necessary. And according to him, negotiations could be happening in the fall. I don't want to give out any specific information, but the Europeans are already talking about it. Something else people have been talking about is next week's NATO summit. NATO Secretary Jen Stoltenberg said Sweden has fulfilled its commitments to join the alliance, and Sweden could become the newest NATO member at the summit. Jason Perry, NTD News. And back in the U.S., President Biden is stepping up his re-election campaign by reaching out to red state voters. But his Bidenomics agenda is facing some backlash from Republicans. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. As part of his national tour to tout federal investments, President Biden on Thursday traveled to South Carolina, where he tried to convince voters there that his Bidenomics agenda is actually helping even red states. Investing in America. In fact, some analysis have said that the laws I've signed are going to do more to help red America than blue America. Well, that's okay with me because we're all Americans. For almost half a century, South Carolina has not voted for even a single Democrat in presidential elections. And Biden's trip there on Thursday also comes on the heels of a massive Trump rally this past weekend, where some 50,000 supporters showed up in a small city of just over 3,000 residents. Thank you to South Carolina. But President Biden on Thursday told South Carolinians that Republicans were doing harm to jobs and the economy, particularly by voting against his legislative agenda. Every Republican member of the House in this state voted to repeal the clean energy provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act. That, that attached attracted all these jobs. And President Biden says that his renewable energy initiatives are bringing jobs to states including South Carolina. But Republicans who voted against these initiatives said that they were only wasting money and fueling inflation. Every single month since he's been in office, except for one, inflation outpacing increases in wages. And today, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, who's also running for president, said that he wanted an apology from President Biden for what he called the failure of Bidenomics. Reporting from the White House, Iris Howe, NTD News. Will an arrest take place following the discovery of cocaine in the West Wing of the White House? That's what one senator wants to know, and he's pressing the Secret Service for answers. NTD's Melina Weiskopf has more details on the ongoing investigation. The Secret Service has confirmed that that cocaine was found in a foot traffic heavy area in the West Wing of the White House last weekend, and they are trying to discover who it was. They say it may have been a person who works at the White House or somebody who was authorized to have been in the area. The Secret Service is also now doing fingerprinting to, to find out exactly who it was. Meanwhile, Senator Tom Cotton is already pressing on whether or not there will be prosecutions under the law. Senator Cotton pressed the Secret Service to provide him answers to questions by a next Friday deadline. Questions including, will they make an arrest after finding out who brought in the cocaine? Who has access to the White House without security screening or with lesser security screening? and more. And one ex-Secret Service agent says that even if the person was screened properly, it could easily be missed because those screen detectors are meant for detecting metal and not small substances. These are magnetometers. They're looking for weapons and they're looking for any biochemical agents. This dime-sized bag, which is really small, that can pass through 
Somebody can hide that somewhere. You're not strip searching people. The chief of communications for the Secret Service told the Epoch Times that they're working very hard, trying their best to identify who exactly it was, and they will be monitoring and analyzing their screening process to determine any hazards in that process. Meanwhile, the White House has so far been tight-lipped. I just don't have anything more to share. It is under investigation by the Secret Service. This is in their purview. And President Biden was asked questions about this when he departed for South Carolina this morning, but he did not answer those questions as he boarded Air Force One. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. Now to OceanGate, the company that owned the Titan submersible. It's suspending all operations. The pause comes after the Titanic tourist sub imploded during a trip last month. A note at the top of the company website says OceanGate has suspended all exploration and commercial operations. The website still features highlight reels of equipment and expeditions, as well as descriptions of expedition offerings, including tours of the Titanic wreckage. OceanGate CEO Stockton Rush was among the five people killed when the Titan submersible imploded. Since the tragedy, new details have emerged about warnings and safety concerns over the vessel. That includes an ominous email from a former OceanGate Expeditions employee who said the Titan could fail. Turning our attention now to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who's now in China on a four-day visit, focusing on easing tensions between the world's two largest economies. Earlier today, I spoke with Peter Navarro, former White House trade advisor during the Trump administration and co-author of Death by China. Peter Navarro, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for coming on. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is in China trying to thaw icy relations. How do you expect this to play out? Well, first of all, why are we going there all the time? Uh, we're acting like supplicants. Uh, I expect uh, Yellen to do what Blinken did at the State Department, uh, give away more of the American economy to China, trying to placate them. Uh, this is not going to work. You said in a recent article that the U.S. should not be negotiating in the face of China's increasing aggression. Could you lay that out for us? Sure. Um, I strongly advocate, uh, as I did in the Trump White House, a policy of decoupling from the Chinese economy. Uh, the reason is simple. We can't afford to be dependent on them, and they are sucking us dry using our consumers to pay for their military defense. Um, what Biden is doing is instead of that, he's trying to, quote, de-risk things, but it, it, it won't work. China, communist China, does not keep any agreement that they make. They're simply trying to take over this country and the world. And um, it's something I learned in four years negotiating face-to-face -face with these people um, during the Trump years. Absolutely. Now, I want to turn to Iran. Iran has become yeah. a full-fledged member of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, a block of Eurasian yes. states that's led by Moscow and Beijing. What's your reaction to that? Well, you, Iran, uh, Russia, communist China is the leader, and North Korea are the four greatest existential threats uh, to peace and stability on the planet. Uh, Iran is a failed nation. It's if it didn't have oil, it wouldn't exist. Uh, but it has oil, and that gives it power. Uh, and it's a it's a repressive state like communist China. 
Uh, and if they ever get the nuclear bomb, uh, that's going to be trouble uh, in terms of Israel and the Middle East. So um, I'm not surprised that Iran's going with that block. Um, I think the lines are very clearly drawn here. And really with Iran, they've been since 1979. And on that note, member states of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization say that they want to trade using non-U.S. currency. Yes. Is that concerning to you? And if so, why? Well, this Shanghai, look, it's it's a block of, of rogue authoritarian fascist nations. Let's like not let them get away with having this nice little name. It's very dangerous. Uh, the uh, lesson that they've learned from the West is that in order for them to engage in bad behavior, they can't be vulnerable to American financial sanctions. So they're doing everything possible to get off uh, the US dollar and reduce their exposure. And that's part of the broader chess match now that's going on between America and these countries. Uh, and let's see how it, it plays out. Uh, they So far, I think communist China um, is winning that battle because more and more they're able to trade in yuan, renminbi, whatever you want to call it. And um, that's not good for uh, the world because it allows them to engage more in their rogue activity. As you say, we'll have to see how this all plays out. Thank yes. you so much, Peter Navarro. Thank you Take for your care. time. You too. And for more of Peter's work, you can follow him at peternavarro.substack.com. Peter. Thank you. Take care. Up next, New Jersey is set to get its first offshore wind farm. The state's governor today guaranteeing significant tax breaks for the European company building it. And body camera footage shows a sheriff's deputy in Los Angeles tackling a woman to the ground. The woman is suspected in a robbery and the officers are now off duty. Find out more here on NTD News. Jersey's governor today signing a bill giving a significant tax break to a company set to build an offshore wind farm. This comes just a day after the Biden administration officially gave the go-ahead for the project. Democratic New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy signing a tax break bill on Thursday. The legislation affects Danish offshore wind developer Orsted. The company is set to build New Jersey's first offshore wind farm. Before signing, Murphy commented on the bill, saying it was sponsored by a whole host of folks, some here, some not. However, it was a partisan bill with no Republican support. Lawmakers only narrowly passed the legislation last week. The bill states that it includes an investment tax credit rate of 30 percent for offshore wind projects. Neither the company nor Democratic lawmakers listed the exact value of the tax break. But a Republican state senator put it at nearly $1 billion. Lawmakers say the tax break is necessary to help Orsted deal with inflation and the lingering effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. After signing the bill, Murphy said that, We know war in Europe, inflation, supply chain, these projects have gotten a lot more expensive. Either we get this bill done and the industry thrives here and the jobs that are associated with it, or it goes somewhere else. 
Murphy's announcement comes just a day after the federal government gave the go-ahead for the project on Wednesday. And on Thursday, Biden was rallying in South Carolina, where he, among other topics, advocated for what he called clean energy. By 2035, all electricity in America is going to be generated by clean energy. That's a big deal. It's saving billions of tons going into the air, pollution. New Jersey's turbines are set to be placed off the coast of Atlantic City. They aim to provide electricity to power half a million homes. The project has also generated fierce opposition, partly because it could affect military operations. Republican Congressman Chris Smith previously told Fox News the wind farms will impact marine radar through sonic interference. It causes disruptions, shadowing. The Coast Guard, too, will not be able to do search and rescue, particularly in bad weather because of the gross interference that will happen. Meanwhile, climate activists blame site preparation work for a spate of whale deaths since December. Construction of the nearly 100 wind turbines is expected to start this fall. And over in California, we take a look at how recent rules for trucks designed to reduce emissions output could impact you, me, and the trucking industry. The regulations impose restrictions on diesel trucks and require a transition to electric. They also have significant sway over similar policies around the nation. But some in the industry are voicing concern. Earlier today, I spoke with Mike Kucharski from JKC Trucking, who says policymakers and industry should work together more closely to tackle emissions targets while also supporting consumers and the industry. Mike Kucharski, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for coming on. We're looking at California's trucking rules as they're changing. How is it changing the trucking industry? Thank you for having me on your show. Um, this mandate is is based on, on brand new technology, and I support green energy, but it's it's extremely frustrating. And I agree with California or the EPA uh, because they keep jamming these uh, mandates down truckers' throats. Example, you know, California wants to force half of its trucks to be electrified by 2035. You know, this is great, but these regulations are, are not practical for for five reasons. Number one, costs to infrastructure, three, testing and data, uh, four, driver range, uh, driving range, and five, uh, less payload, ca payload capacity. You mentioned that it may be affecting the, the driving range. I'd love to hear how that relates to electric trucks. Yeah, just to give you an idea, JKC, we're a long distance hauler. So we're going from Chicago to, to, to California and long distance uh, driving range for electric trucks is not practical. Let me give you an example. Right now, uh, one of my trucks fills up with diesel. It takes about 300 gallons and its uh, driving range is about 1,800 miles. A new electric truck will charge for 10 hours and its driving range will capacity will be about 150 to 300 miles. To give you an idea, if you and I jump in a truck tomorrow and we're trying to go to Los Angeles from Chicago, we'll barely make it to the Illinois-Iowa border, yet alone to, 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 to California. Uh, and then the range right now, trucks are making five to 700 miles a day with our current technology. If we move to new technology, we should be making more than that or at, at least minimum equivalent too, not less. If these new plans go ahead as we expect they will, it looks like there will be more electric trucks on the road and fewer diesel trucks. What are your other concerns around that? 
My biggest concern is the testing and data. You know, example, how will these trucks work in the extreme cold in the high elevations when we go through the mountains, the Las Vegas desert when it's 130 degrees, Death Valley? Uh, the fastest way to kill a lithium batteries was extreme heat and extreme cold. Um, and if this technology fails, the entire supply chain will be dead in the water. You know, fail failure is not merely inconvenient; it's, it's catastrophic. You know, this is not an option especially for the food supply chain of America. You know, these changes also were, were, were made without checking the supply chain uh, challenges uh, that we're facing right now. And impacting challenges that we're already facing, as you mentioned, with the food supply chain, with inflation, with accessibility to all these essential items. Um, how else will all these changes affect consumers? I mean, uh, these changes will trickle down to the end user, the consumer, the American people, and 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 cost more goods. Federal officials have gone and testified, you know, and said this on TV, saying that these costs will be passed down to the consumers. So you and I will be paying more for these electric trucks. There is still this push to, uh, to you know, accommodate efforts to reduce emissions. So how do you think, you know, the trucking industry can be supported alongside that? The best way that the trucking industry be supported is the, these, the EPA, the federal officials, everybody needs to sit down with the truckers so we could tell them what our challenges are, what are our problems, so we could work together to, to come up with answers for these problems uh, to, to move forward, keep the supply chain moving, uh, the wheels rolling and, and feeding the American people together. It's, right now, it's just kind of one-sided. It's what, what they decide, but it's not what we, what we they're not addressing our problems. Thank you so much, Mike Kucharski, for coming on our show. Thank you for your support. And earlier today, California state air regulators and truck and engineer manufacturers said they had agreed on state emissions rules that will give, more, give companies more flexibility to meet requirements while reaching state emission reduction goals. Meanwhile, this past holiday weekend, drivers in California were not the only ones feeling pain at the pump. Another West Coast state can now claim the dubious honor of having America's highest gas prices. NTD's David Jiang spoke with some locals to get their reactions. California's annual gas tax increase kicked in on July 1st, meaning the nation's highest gas tax will increase by four cents, making the tax a total of 58 cents a gallon. It's hard. I don't know what else to say. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Oh, too much expensive. Every year it seems to get worse and worse, you know, and um, it just seems like we can never get out from underneath the, uh, the gas prices, you know. While gas prices are still high in California, it's no longer the highest in the nation. Instead, the drivers in Washington state are celebrating the start of summer with that title, America's Most Expensive Gas Prices, a title held by California 95% of the time in the last 18 years. According to the latest numbers from AAA, Washington's average gas price sits at $4.97, which is about 13 cents higher than California's $4.84 average. Even though Washington has the highest average price, gas stations near major California cities are still charging heavily. Eight of the top 10 metro areas in America with the highest price at the pump are located in California, according to AAA. But I know I can't take it personal because everything is high. 
you know, basically I'm a, a single single guy and I uh, can barely make it um, because of the gas prices. That, that's part of it and the grocery prices, but a lot of it has to do with gas. Still, some drivers in Washington are paying well over $5 a gallon. In King County, where Seattle is located, the average for regular gas is a $5.09 a gallon, according to AAA. Washington's Escomania County averages $5.32 a gallon. The good news is that Americans are paying a lot less for gas than the first day of summer last year, even in Washington, where the average was a $5.54 a gallon a year ago. Nationally, the average price for regular gas is $3.58 a gallon, down $1.39 from this point last year. And a sheriff from Los Angeles County is calling a recently released body cam video disturbing. It caught a deputy tackling a woman after she filmed her husband getting handcuffed. The sheriff's department said the two matched the descriptions of robbers at a grocery store. And just as a warning to viewers, this report contains violent footage. The Los Angeles County Sheriff says video footage of a deputy violently throwing a woman to the ground while she filmed her husband being handcuffed in a grocery store parking lot is disturbing. The video shows the man sitting on a large rock outside the store and holding a cake before deputies handcuffed him as his wife stands a few feet away filming the encounter. One deputy is seen tackling the woman to the ground and pepper spraying her. I can't breathe this. I didn't do nothing. The June 24th incident in Lancaster, north of Los Angeles, is the latest to draw scrutiny over how the department's deputies use force. Community groups planned a protest on Wednesday demanding that the officers be held accountable. The couple, whose names were not released, reportedly matched the descriptions of robbers targeting a grocery store in Lancaster. Late Monday, the sheriff's department said both officers were pulled off field duties. The bystander's cell phone video spread on social media. In a statement, the sheriff's office said, an objective review of the incident will be conducted to determine if the force used was reasonable, necessary, appropriate, and proportional to the level of actions described. Tom Yu, an attorney for the deputy, said the suspects allegedly threatened store employees. Yu told ABC7 News there's a narrative of saying the deputy struck her down because she was recording. She's not an innocent bystander. She's involved. She's detained in this robbery investigation. The sheriff's department did not release the deputies' names or other details, such as whether the couple was cited. Coming up, an eight-year-old girl has been killed and 10 people need hospital treatment after a car crashed into a school building in Wimbledon in the UK. And ChatGPT, the fastest-growing consumer application ever, saw monthly traffic to its website decline for the very first time. Why? These stories and more when we come back. Welcome back. Tragic news in the UK. A girl has been killed and 10 people are hospitalized after a car crashed into a school building in Wimbledon, southwest London. Police say it wasn't terror-related. The Met Police said an eight-year-old girl has died after a Land Rover crashed into a building at a girls' prep school in Wimbledon on Thursday morning. Police said the driver, a woman in her 40s, stopped at the scene of the crash 
and was later arrested on suspicion of causing death by dangerous driving. This is a very difficult time for everyone here at the school and across the wider community. We would ask people not to speculate while we work to understand the full circumstances of what has happened during this tragic incident. But I will say we are not treating this as a terrorist incident. A spokesperson from the London Ambulance Service said they received a 999 call to a collision in Wimbledon at about 9.54 in the morning and dispatched specialist critical care paramedics, London's air ambulance and 15 ambulances. We declared a major incident and stood up a specialist operations centre. We treated 16 patients on scene. Sadly, as we've heard, one eight-year-old girl died. We conveyed 10 patients to hospital. The crash left a gap in the fencing at the entrance to the site. The chairman of the Board of Governors said the community is profoundly affected by the tragedy. The private school sits on Wimbledon Common, just a mile away from the All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club, where the tennis tournament is underway. The building that is damaged is a site for younger children between the ages of four and eight. And we'll keep you updated on that investigation. Next, tech news. A new social media app called Threads has just launched. It's a creation of Meta, parent company of Facebook. People are calling the new platform a possible Twitter killer. Threads, the latest social media app to rival Twitter, has officially launched on July 5th. It was created by Meta's Instagram team. While Threads launched as a standalone app, Users can log in with Instagram credentials and follow the same accounts, potentially making it coincide with Instagram's over 2 billion monthly active users. That they've got a user base instantly, whereas all the other competitors needed to start from scratch. Um, it's also taking in a lot of experience that comes from Meta. They are the leaders in terms of targeted advertising, and that will be applied here. It has similar features to Twitter. People can post, like, and repost other content, but unlike Twitter, it doesn't utilize hashtags. According to Instagram, users can log in with their Instagram account and posts can be up to 500 characters long and include links, photos, and videos up to five minutes in length. A social media analyst believes it'll appeal to a different audience. So I'm not saying it will kill Twitter, but it will definitely become a viable alternative because of that instant user base and the way they approach it. The Meta CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, said threads gained 10 million signups within seven hours. One caveat people pointed out was that while threads users can deactivate their account, they cannot delete their threads account without deleting their Instagram account, causing public backlash over the requirement. The launch came while Twitter said they are temporarily limiting the number of posts that users can see per day. Twitter's chief technology officer, Elon Musk, said that they were addressing extreme levels of data scraping and system manipulation. So verified Twitter accounts were initially limited to reading 6,000 posts per day, while unverified accounts were limited to the hundreds. These numbers have increased since then. Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk have traded barbs for months and challenging each other to a real-life MMA cage fight in Las Vegas. The Instagram team said they are working on threads to, quote, soon being compatible with the open, interoperable social networks. 
And Twitter is now threatening to sue Meta. According to a report by Semaphore, Twitter's lawyer is accusing Meta of engaging in, quote, systematic, willful, and unlawful misappropriation of Twitter's trade secrets and other intellectual property. The lawyer alleges Meta hired dozens of former Twitter employees, but a Meta spokesperson says no one on Thread's engineering team is a former Twitter employee. And the wildly popular AI chatbot ChatGPT saw monthly traffic to its website decline for the first time ever last month. Is this a sign of the chatbot's novelty wearing off? NTD Business's Don Ma speaks with a tech expert. And here to talk to me is Robert Salvador, tech expert and CEO of Digibuilt Software. Now, the wildly popular AI chatbot, ChatGPT, saw a near 10% drop in traffic for the first time ever. The amount of time visitors spent on the website was also down nearly 9%. What do you think we can conclude from seeing this? Well, I think, I personally don't think it is that surprising. ChatGPT was one of the fastest growing products ever, the fastest growing product ever. It reached a million users faster than any other product. So it was bound to slow down a little bit, and then two is that people are just trying other options that do similar to ChatGPT. So I think that accounts for you know why some of the usage is down. I definitely don't think that this um, bubble or this technology is slowing down anytime soon. So you use the word bubble. Do you think this meteoric rise with ChatGPT, do you think it has the fundamentals to back it up? Yeah, I do. I mean, so anytime you have really disruptive technology, the reason a bubble starts around it is because many people look and see the value that can be created long term, and then it becomes a gold rush. I think we have not seen a technology that is fully battle tested and ready in the same way that ChatGPT is um, maybe ever as far as you know, emerging technology. So. Like any other bubble, there will be, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, but the technology itself, LLMs, artificial intelligence, you know, things like machine learning is definitely real. Yeah, I mean, nothing in this world goes up in a straight line, right? It's, it's completely normal to have a correction uh, here and there uh, once in a while. Um, but do you think in the long term, right, that the trend will just be sort of going up? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that artificial intelligence will have a trajectory of progress and driving results and efficiency like nothing we've ever seen before. I mean, if you look already at the growth you've seen since ChatGPT came out, you know, six, eight, 10 months ago, the progress in ChatGPT4, what you're seeing with Google Bard, I definitely think the trajectory upwards will be faster. Uh, and more real than many of the technologies before artificial intelligence like we're seeing now. And I just have one more question for you, and arguably this, this may be the biggest question. Is AI dangerous? What does the future look like? Well, that is the million dollar question, it seems. I would say that AI can be dangerous depending on whose hands it is in and how it is built. I think you can make that case for many different types of technology. When used properly, there is absolutely no question that the benefits of artificial intelligence should, and I'm hopeful will, outweigh the negatives and the dangers. I mean, the lives we can save, save 
the wars we can stop, the ways we can improve the economy and, you know, the way of life for people, you know, really improve the life, liberty and pursuit of happiness that our constitution grants us, you know, AI can do that in a big way if we, if we build it and use it in the right way. Right, right. And on that point, thank you so much today, Robert. It was great speaking with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Coming up, the world of competitive eating provides plenty of entertainment and is a July 4th staple. Yet, the health effects are rarely mentioned. And shark attacks and shark sightings recently making big headlines. What should you do if a shark approaches you? Find out more after the break. Have you ever watched a hot dog eating contest and wondered what effects does this have on the body? NTD's Dave Martin has, so he talked to an expert to find out more. Competitive eater Joey Chestnut won his 16th mustard belt Tuesday as the winner of the annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest by downing a whopping 62 hot dogs in just 10 minutes. The staggering amount was 13 more than his closest competitor yet well behind his personal record of 76 francs set two years ago. Now the spectacle is televised nationally on ESPN every 4th of July, but what the cameras don't show you is the internal strain it puts on the body. Like most athletic endeavors, most athletic endeavors, at least at the top level, are not healthy for the body. But this is, to me at least, is on another level of unhealthiness and the potential damage you can do. I mean James DeLacy is a strength and conditioning coach based in Austin, Texas, who, like most Americans, finds these eating contests to be entertaining, yet is well aware of the damage they can cause. DeLacy, who has a master's in sport and exercise science, says in addition to symptoms like nausea, cramping, heartburn, and vomiting, there can be more long-term effects like stretching and tearing the stomach and even rupturing the esophagus, depending on how much water you're taking in. And that's not even mentioning that experts recommend chewing your food anywhere from 20 to 40 times before swallowing. On the opposite spectrum, if you're chewing once or twice for a whole do hot dog, you're getting these large chunks of food built up in the stomach, and essentially that starts to block the small intestine, and that can lead to potentially acute pancreatitis and acute kidney damage. DeLacy, who's been featured in magazines like Healthline, Bodybuilding, and Men's Fitness, says the problems, though, can start well before the competitions. You, you don't just get to a point where I jump in an eating competition, I can eat 60 or 70 hot dogs. You've got to be able to build up to that. And a lot of it is around stomach elasticity. That's considered kind of like the key performance indicator of being good at competitive eating. Sadly, some eating competitions have even claimed the lives of their participants right on the spot, though not from the problems just mentioned. It's actually from choking. So, which is quite interesting where even as recent as this year, a woman in Russia choked on in a pancake eating contest and died. DeLacy, who's from New Zealand and trained some of their professional rugby teams, says consuming a lot of calories is certainly necessary for gaining muscle while training, though hot dogs may not be the best meal for it. He recommends foods high in protein and also says having a tablespoon of extra virgin olive oil with your meal is a good way to add healthy fats while adding calories that are easy to digest. I'm Dave Martin for NTD News.
All right, next, shark attacks. They've been popping up in recent headlines. 41 incidents this year, seven of them resulting in death. According to website trackingsharks.com, the chances of being attacked by a shark are very low. But what should you do if it's about to happen? NTD's Colin Fredrickson talks with a famous shark scientist. Most people going to the beach probably aren't planning on reenacting Jaws, the iconic 1975 film, but a small number of them have. Just this year, there have been 34 unprovoked shark attacks, 23 of them in the United States. So what should you do to protect yourself if you see a shark? What I would do is make sure I'm facing it as I start retreating towards the water and, and do it as calmly as possible. And that is because if it does start to come in closer, you want to have uh, eye contact with it and, and know where it is. And if it's getting closer and closer, you want to kind of make sure that that animal knows that you know it's there. Giannis Papastamatio is one of the foremost experts in shark science, according to Science Journal. He says that when a shark knows that a person is aware of its presence, it's less likely to attack that person. This is because animals avoid living things that are the same size as they are. But if the shark is in battle mode, Papastamatio says you must fight back. Well, there certainly are areas of the animal that may be more vulnerable, such as the eyes. Uh, it's easier said than done to be actually trying to target that in your response when, when you're fighting back. Um, certainly, if you have anything like a piece of equipment, anything that is not your body part, that's always a much better option. After hitting the shark in a sensitive place, such as the eyes, gills, or nose, the shark may flee. Papastamatio says that shark attacks are very, very rare. But when they do happen, they're very dramatic and often make headlines. The chances of being attacked are 1 in 3.75 million. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.